Hi, I'm Paul Turner. I work with the Orchard team, and I'm here to read Genesis 15 for you today. Let's open God's word. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward the heaven, and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Hey everybody, good morning and uh, welcome to Christ Community Chapel. So, so glad that you are here. Uh, thanks for being a part of uh, CCC. Welcome those of you at our East service, those of you who are tuning in. Uh, welcome. All right, uh, I was out in the atrium greeting people, and I, I am kind of losing my voice, and uh, so people were <laughs> saying, uh, are you horse? Right, and uh, it immediately went from their concern for me to their concern for themselves, because they were like, back up. <laughs> and I am, just, I just am losing my voice. There's, I'm okay, I'm okay. All right. Uh, we are in the middle of this 10-week uh, series we're calling 10 Sentences to Change Your Life. And we're taking it from the book of Romans. We finished the first five uh, messages last week. Uh, we will start the next five messages 
uh, next week. This is a standalone message right in the middle. And we do this partly because it's our rhythm for our circles, our small groups, where we uh, meet together for five weeks to study something. We have one week where we just have fellowship uh, and enjoy each other, and then we have five more weeks of study, all right? You know, when you read the Bible, uh, if you're familiar with the Bible at all, uh, there are stories that are easy to just read through and not really pay much attention because you're so familiar with it. There are other passages that just sound like the Bible should sound to you, so those are easy to read quickly too. The passage you just had read to you is not one of those passages, is it? It is a wild passage, right? You have uh, animals being split in two, and you have smoking fire pots and flaming torches. You want to go, what in the world is going on? What I'm hoping is by the end of this message, you will see this story as one of the most beautiful stories in the whole Bible. I'm calling this message, God does it for us. God does it for us. All right, I have three points for those of you who are note takers, you can write down these three points. For those of you who are not note takers, just know this is kind of the framework I'm going to use. I want to talk about the doubts, the doubts. I want to talk about the covenant, and I want to talk about the anchor. The doubts, the covenant, and the anchor. First, the doubts. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn it to Genesis chapter 15. And if you don't have a Bible with you, then If you have a smartphone, you ought to download uh, a Bible app. They're free. It's easy. You'll always have the Bible with you. It's it's usually good to have one with you as we go through it so you can read it for yourself and read the context. We'll try to put the verses up as I read them as well on the screen. All right? This is the way it starts. Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield your reward shall be very great. All right, it starts out by saying after these things, whenever a story starts out like that, you should at least go back and find out what uh, is the context. What is it talking about when it says after these things? And what had just happened in the chapter before is that Abram had rescued his nephew Lot from a marauding tribe. Right? And back then in the ancient world, it was kind of the Wild West. Uh, there were a lot of, it was a very dangerous place, a lot of uh, tribes and warring tribes and alliances you may or may not know about. Think like Afghanistan right now. And what Abraham had done was that he had rescued his nephew Lot, and he was probably concerned about retaliation from some other tribe. And so then it says that the Lord The word of the Lord came to Abram. That's a particular way to phrase that. Uh, It's used later on in uh, the Bible to uh, talk about how God would speak to prophets. This was a very unique way for God to speak. It's not the way he speaks to you and me today. Like the way God speaks to us is uh, many many times it's kind of a uh, a nudging, uh, an idea that we think, oh, that wasn't my idea. I think that was God's idea. When I, when I have my quiet time with God every morning, I usually take my phone with me. And I take my phone with me so that when I'm prompted uh, by what I feel like is by God to pray for somebody, uh, and I know them, I can text them or email them to just say, I just want you to know I'm praying for you today, right? Uh, that's different. What this means is that God spoke to Abram in a clear and audible voice. 
Very, very unique. And God says to Abraham, Abraham, fear not, calls him by name, tells him not to be afraid. Then he says, I am your shield and your reward shall be very great. Okay, I want you to just stop and imagine what that would feel like. Let's say you have a very, very important job interview coming up and you're very anxious about it. And the night before the job interview, you hear God in an audible voice call you by name and say, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I am your shield and your reward shall be very great. How would you feel about that interview? Right? You'd just be going, bring it on. It doesn't really matter how the interview goes because I know Everything's going to be okay. But that's not the way Abram responds. Abram doesn't say, oh, thanks, God. I'm good. That was great. Thanks so much. This is what Abram says, verse 2 and 3. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Okay. Abram says, Ah, yeah, thanks, but what have you done for me, like, to assure me that you're going to come through? God speaks in an audible voice. You know, I told you last week, sometimes it helps me to think through what God doesn't do. Because if I were God at that point, I would be pretty frustrated, right? Do you think you would? If I was a very wealthy person and I came up to you after the service and just said, listen, I'm going to give you a car. I'm going to give you a brand new car. It's going to be amazing. I'm not going to tell you when I'm going to give it to you, but I'm going to give it to you. And you say, hmm, what assurance are you going to give me that you're going to come through? I think I would go, all right, not you. Hey, I'm going to give you a car, you know, somebody else. But that's not what God does. Instead, God takes Abraham out into the night to see the stars. And I have to think of it as one of those clear, crisp fall nights where the stars are spackled all over the sky. And God says, Abram, look at the stars. My promise to you is that your offspring is going to be as numerous as the stars. And then verse 6 says that Abram believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Very famous verse. Abraham believes God. He finally says, okay, okay, I believe you. I trust you, which is always what God is after with each of us. And then God goes on and he says, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land, right? And and that brings us to verse eight. In verse eight, Abraham says this, oh, Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? Right, you want to go, oh, Come on, Abraham, what are you doing? Right? It just seems like God has spoken to Abraham in an in a audible voice, right? He has said, I am your very great reward. This is going to be okay. And Abraham, instead of responding with worship, instead of responding with thanksgiving, he responds with doubt, with doubt. Three things. First, if Abraham doubted God and had at different times where he struggled to trust God, so will you. So will I. Abraham is considered a paragon of faith in three different world religions. Islam, Judaism, Christianity. All look at Abraham and say, you want to know what faith looks like? Look at Abraham. Unbelievable faith. If Abraham is going to doubt God and have different times in his life where he had struggled to trust God, 
you're going to go through those times as well. That's the first thing. Second thing is this. Evidently, that's okay with God. Evidently, that's okay with God. When Abram doubts God, God doesn't chastise him. God doesn't go off on him. Instead, God is very gentle with him. So that means that if it's okay with God for you to doubt, it's okay with CCC for you to doubt. I don't know if you grew up in a church where uh, it was discouraged, where doubt was discouraged or even prohibited. We are not going to be like that. We want to be a place where you are free to doubt, where you are free to ask questions. All right. But then the third thing is this: God does not leave Abraham in his doubts. God doesn't just walk away. So if you are here and you are a skeptic who thinks that doubts will never be resolved, then this is for you as well. Because while God doesn't go off on Abram for doubting, God doesn't leave him there. He's very gentle, but he reminds Abram of who he is and what it means to be in relationship with him. Right? And that's one of the reasons why it's so important, I think, to gather together to worship in person, which I'm glad you all are here, and those of you over in East Hall are here, is because uh, our faith usually goes like this, right? So some of us, some of you, are really struggling right now. Uh, you came, you didn't really want to come, uh, but you came, but, but right now, if the truth be told, you're, you're not sure about God, you're not sure if he's going to come through for you, you, don't, you just don't know, right? But you have stumbled in anyway. And then there are some of you who feel like, you know what? I am just on fire. God is doing great things. I can't wait to get there to worship, and you are doing great. It's important for all of us to be together so that those who are struggling can lean on those who are not, and then when those who are not struggling, when they struggle, then they will have someone to lean on as well. It's, it's important for all of us to be here, all right? All right. So Abraham doubts uh, God, and then God, instead of going off, does something else. And that brings me to the second point, which is the covenant. So God says to Abram, uh, go get some animals. After Abram doubts the second time, go get some animals, tells him to get a, a cow, a goat, a ram, and a couple birds. But he doesn't give him any instructions. It seems like Abram knows exactly what he's supposed to do with those animals. So he goes and gets those animals. He slaughters them. He splits the animals in half, the cow, the goat, and the ram, the birds he just kills. And then he, and that much, I mean, I mean splitting those animals, you got to think, of, you know, that he, all he has is a knife, right? He doesn't have a, you know, a big chainsaw. So he has to cut through those animals, very messy, very bloody, uh, probably took some time. Then he splits them apart. He puts one half on this side, one half on this side. He makes a path, right? And you got to ask, what is God doing? And what God is doing is he's addressing Abraham's doubts. He's addressing Abraham's doubts. Listen, in our world, when uh, we make a promise and uh, you're not sure, somebody's not sure if you're going to come through in your promise, what we do is we sign a contract. Right? That's what we, I just had a roof put on my house not too long ago. Before the roofer started, we sat at my kitchen table and uh, we signed a contract. He he showed me all the stuff that he was saying, this is my part. I'm going to take off all your old shingles. I'm going to put these particular shingles on. This is all the work I promise to do. And then he signed it. And then I had to sign because I was saying, this is what I will pay you. This is my part. This is what I will pay you 
uh, for you doing your part, right? So that's what we do now. In the ancient world, uh, they acted out uh, contracts, acted out covenants, and this is the way they did it. They would take an animal or animals and they would split them and they would slaughter them, split them in half, put them in a path. And then you would make the promise to whatever promise you were making. And then you would walk through the halves. And what you were doing, it was called a blood covenant or a curse covenant. What you were saying is, if I don't keep my promise, if I don't do my part, may I become like these animals? May I be slaughtered? May I be split in half? May what happened to them happen to me. <laughs> very, very serious thing. I thought about doing that with my roofer, but I thought we'll just do the contract, <laughs> right? So when God says to Abram after his second doubt, go get some animals, Abram felt like he knew exactly what was going to happen, that they were going to ratify the promise, that God was going to say, this is my part. And Abram would have to say, this is my part. And they would walk through this covenant, this cursed covenant, right? But what happens is this. So, so everything is making sense, right? And then, the, then it says that it's this dreadful darkness falls on Abram. It's a weird way to put it. Uh, commentators uh, all agree that this wasn't just physical darkness that started to descend on Abram. It was more of a spiritual darkness that drove him to the ground. It's the same kind of spiritual darkness that fell in the Gospels when Jesus was being crucified. There was darkness in the land from noon to three, right? Same kind of darkness. Listen, you know, I, we've told you before, this is, the Bible is one story, and that story is about Jesus. Always, always. So we're always looking for Jesus, and you'll see him clearer and clearer as I go through this message. All right, so this darkness falls, and everything so far is making sense to Abram because uh, he thinks he understands what they're doing. Then he sees uh, this uh, fire, smoking fire pot and a flaming torch. Those, that phrase, those two things are very, very difficult to translate from the original Hebrew. In fact, uh, commentators have really struggled on how, uh, what exactly uh, the passage is describing. One commentator said that it, 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 it's describing like a, a searing bolt of lightning that was holding its shape. If you've ever seen a storm roll in, and it usually happens when I'm driving, and then I see all that out of the corner of my eye, just this bolt of lightning, and it's always like uh, awe, awe-inspiring. But imagine this bolt of lightning that appears for Abraham, and it's throwing off sparks and smoke, and then that's what passes through the pieces. Now, what every commentator agrees on is that it's describing uh, what is described later on in the book of Exodus. When God leads the people of Israel out of Egypt, he takes on a visible manifestation. It's a, a pillar of, of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Same type of description. The Israelites called that simply Shekinah, which meant glory. It was the visible presence of God. And then what Abraham sees is that the visible presence of God, the glory of God, is making a promise to him, and he hears the promise, and God is saying, this is what's going to happen. And then he passes through the pieces. And there are at least two surprises. Right? The first surprise is that God passes through the pieces. 
that God makes this covenant with Abraham. And I say that because in the ancient world, if a king was powerful enough, he wouldn't pass through the pieces. Right? He, wouldn't, he wouldn't make himself equal with whoever he was making an agreement with. Like someone, some lesser vassal or a servant would come and say, please, oh king, can we make this? Will we, can we have a promise between the two of us? And if the king was powerful enough, he'd say, sure, you pass through. You tell me what your part is. And then trust me, I'm not going to pass through. But God passes through. And what God is saying is this. Abraham, I make you this promise. If I don't do my part, may what happened to these animals happen to me. May I be slaughtered. May I be cut apart. That was one surprise. But the bigger surprise was this. Abram didn't go through. Abram didn't. Because what Abram thought was what every other religion teaches is this, that if you make a covenant with God, you have to walk through the faces. You have a part to play. You be a good person. You come to church, you do the four pillars, you do, or the, the eight pillars, you do the four noble paths, whatever it is, you do your part, then God will do his part. You pay for the roof, God puts it on. But that's not Christianity. That's not what it says here. What it says is that God went through the path, made the covenant, said, I will do my part. And then Abraham didn't have to go through. What was God saying? If you, you know, when I had the first point, I called it the doubts because there were two doubts. And the doubts are a little bit different if you look closely. The first doubt that Abraham has at the beginning of the chapter is he's saying, God, I doubt if, I don't know if you'll do your part. How do I know you're going to do your part? And then God takes him out and says, look at the stars. And then Abram responds with that very, very famous verse, verse 6, where he says that Abram believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. What Abram was saying is, okay, okay, I believe that you'll do your part. But then in verse 8, it seems like he doubts again, but verse 8 is a little bit different. Look at the pronouns in verse 8. It says, but Abram said, O Lord God, How am I to know that I shall possess it? I think the second doubt is this. Abram is saying, God, I already trust that you'll do your part. But how do I know I'll do my part? What happens if I fail? So Abraham sets this path up because he knows that God's going to make this covenant with him. And he knows that he has a part to play. And he's thinking to himself, I wonder, I know God will do his part, but what if I can't do my part? And what God is saying to Abram is this, and this is the glory and the wonder of God, is that God says, Abram, I'll walk through for you. If you fail, when you fail, I will pay the price for your failure. It's almost like if I sat down with my roofer and he signs and he says, this is what I'll do, I promise. And I say, that's great. Listen, I don't know if I can pay. And the roofer goes, that's okay, I'll sign. Because if you can't pay, I'll pay. You see, I told you this is about Jesus, right? And always the Old Testament is a shadow of what Jesus is all about. And this is what it says in Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15, it says, when the sixth hour had come, this is when Jesus is being crucified, There was darkness over the whole land 
until the ninth hour. That's the dreadful darkness. And then this is what it says that Jesus was doing, and this is from Isaiah. It says, surely he has borne our griefs. He has carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. In verse 8, by oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living? You hear that language? It's the language of a covenant. That's God saying, listen, when you failed, I sent someone for you to pay the price for you, to walk through the pieces for you. And his name is Jesus. We have a God who makes a promise to you that is so strong that he says, if I don't do this, may this happen to me. And when you don't do this, I will still keep my promise. And that brings me to the third point, which is the anchor. The anchor. In the book of Hebrews, the Hebrew writer uh, talks about this particular story in Hebrews chapter 6. And he says this, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself. All right, that God made a promise and he said, I promise that I will do this. He doesn't make Abraham promise. And then in verse 19, it says, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. I love that he calls it an anchor. An anchor is something that you have in a boat and you use it in, in a boat to, to make you feel secure in the middle of a storm so that you're not just tossed to and fro. It's a thing that you throw down and it's got to hold on to something that is firm, that is solid. People have all kinds of anchors, all kinds of things you are counting on to, to, so that you can think, listen, it's going to be okay. In a storm that you're in right now or a storm that you may face in the future, you're thinking, you know what? This will make it okay, even in the midst of a storm. And people make an anchor, their, their family or their spouse or their job or their bank account or whatever it is. But most of us have lived long enough that we had, we had an anchor that we thought was firm and then all of a sudden it was gone. Our spouse was gone, our job was gone, and we started to realize that our anchor never had something solid. This is what the writer's saying, is that God gives you something solid to put your anchor in so that whatever storm comes, you will not be tossed to and fro. Right? What God says is, this is it. How do you know? Here's the question. How do you know that things are going to be okay with you? How do you know that God loves you? How do you know that you can be forgiven? How do you know that all sad things will someday come in true? How do you know that your story will end well? This is how you know. That God says, when you doubt, I promise, I promise I will do this for you. And when you doubt me, look at Jesus. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is proof that I will do what I say I will do. And when you doubt yourself whether you can do your part, God says, look at Jesus. Because Jesus is proof that when you failed, when I failed, when you didn't do your part, when you couldn't be good enough, Jesus did it for you. 
We have a God who makes a promise and says, I walk through the pieces. And then when you can't, Jesus walks through the pieces for you. And now we get to share communion. And in communion, one of the things that's, that's the most interesting thing about communion is when Jesus had this last supper with his disciples, he held up the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant between God and you. And what Jesus is saying is, this is proof positive that God will come through with his promises because I am here. And because I am here, this promise cannot fail. You can't make it fail. God can't make it fail. I am here. All right? Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, I come to you and I am so grateful. I'm grateful that, uh, that we have this story uh, right in the beginning of Genesis. Grateful that you spoke to Abram in an audible voice, but more grateful that you've given us something stronger than an audible voice. You've given us the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus to show us what it means to be in relationship with you, the extent that you will go to make good on your promise to love us, to forgive us, to accept us, to be our God. Thank you. I pray that every person here uh, from wherever, whatever's going on in their life, I pray that they will know, they will know Jesus in this way, that Jesus is the one who makes God's promises come true. Thank you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.